0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. All
1: things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything.
0: With those words, the Apostle Paul dives into a discussion of our sexuality. Because I am free in Christ, does that mean that I am free to pursue my sexual desires wherever they may take me?
1: enjoy god's creation and the gifts that he gives to us within the parameters that he gives them to us he draws lines he makes fences he puts up barriers that would prevent his children from moving into areas that would be destructive for them
0: hello and welcome to crosswalk we're in a series entitled crossroads where your faith intersects your culture and our culture today much like the culture in corinth was obsessed with sex as followers of Jesus in Corinth, these believers were trying to figure out how their faith affects their flesh, or if it's even supposed to at all.
1: This is, this is a good idea to, to get a hold of in your mind. It's not about whether you can, but whether you should.
0: We started last week looking at the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter six, where we discovered that after living their lives in bondage to religions that were all about their works, these new believers in Corinth were overjoyed at the reality that they were set free in Christ. But some were using their freedom in Christ to engage in sexual practices that were beyond what God intended for us.
1: All things are lawful for me. I'm not under the law anymore. There may be some truth in that statement, but the Corinthians had taken their freedom in Christ and they had begun to misuse and abuse that freedom, particularly in the area of sexuality.
0: As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, finding Christ doesn't mean we lose our sexual desire, so... What are we supposed to do? And perhaps more importantly, who are we going to believe—God or our culture? Let's see what God's word has to say, shall we? Here's Pastor Clay with this important message for the church today. I lead you to the
1: cross. Last week, we were in this passage of scripture uh, because of the the sheer volume of information that's in there. And didn't really, and sometimes you still do not even scratch the surface. Isn't one of the amazing things about the Word of God? One of the amazing things about the Word of God. You can read the same passage of Scripture a thousand times, and the thousand and first time, God will just reveal something that you'd, you'd never thought of before, or, or maybe almost like you hadn't even seen it before. You know, and you know you had, but it's why, and this, this is not just a book. This is not just a book. Best-selling book of all time, by the way. Still, every year, best-selling book of all time. Fantastic author. Anyway, we <laughs> just got into this, this uh, latter part of First Corinthians chapter six in our series Crossroads. Just to remind you, if you've forgotten, this series is entitled this. I I, I settled on this title because because Corinth in many ways is very similar to the culture and we live that we live in uh, today. And Corinth was, was, geographically speaking, it was at the crossroads of the world, uh, certainly in the world of commerce. Everybody trading, buying, whatever, in the ancient world, sooner or later would pass through Corinth. So it was a literal uh, crossroads, but in our lives, we face a crossroads between our belief and our culture. And where those two intersect, and, and they, they are going to intersect, what do we do? How do we navigate that? What does that mean? When my faith intersects with my culture, how does this all work out? And so, I said last week, I started with kind of an overarching idea that I, I said you could look at the, really, the, almost all of the book of Corinth, and you could argue that all of Paul's letters focus on this, but, but I gave you this idea if you happen to be here last week, and it was this. The way we live reveals and reflects what we believe. That it, that it really does. That, that the way the way we live really does reveal and reflect what we what we really truly believe no matter what i may say or whatever by a person's actions you generally find out where they stand on a position or what they believe about something like that you know it's super bowl uh, sunday and uh so you know what that means a bunch of pizzas are going to be sold tonight consumed um, but you know football season is is drawing to a close uh, but yeah Okay. <laughs> okay, we know where we, we know where Ken stands on football, but it's uh, drawing to a close. And I saw this thing the other day. I don't know if y'all saw this. It was a document thing or something on ESPN about this couple that are like like the ultimate football fans. Certainly, Cincinnati Bengals football fans. Now, I don't know why anybody would choose to be a Cincinnati Bengals football fan, but I guess if you live in Cincinnati, you would be. But this couple. Uh, it was documenting that they, they attend every single Cincinnati Bengal football game everyone they were they had set a goal and i don 't know if it 's like the world record or, or whatever, but uh, the the documentary followed right up to they attended their one hundredth straight Cincinnati Bengal game, not just home games away when they played in London, when they played in wherever they played. at every single game and course they got you know they got the they got the garb they got the they got the they got it all right and so when you look at a person like that you know what you know what you you, know what you figure out real quick they they believe <laughs> they believe in bengals football right because the way they live their life they're put they're literally putting their money where their mouth is they're traveling and i'm not you know what i'm saying that really is the principle of life uh the way we live our life re- reveals What we really believe. So, last week I read you all that latter half, if you happen to be here at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can go back and listen, pick that up if you want to, uh, 12 through 20. I'm going to read the verses as we go today, since I read it in its entirety uh, last week, but we're discussing a subject that that can be sensitive in some sense, uh, in the church at least, but it's really not very sensitive in, in the world. But because our faith intersects with our culture at times, right? We need to know what do we do when we get there, all right? Last week, I shared this kind of central main idea with you, and it was this. An important decision must be made. Live for the flesh or live for the Lord. That seems to be what the Apostle Paul is saying in verses 12 through 14, First Corinthians chapter 6. Let me read it to you this morning. All things are lawful for me. Uh, But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but He will also raise us up through His power. In those opening verses of that second half, Paul is clearly making a transition. He's clearly moving in to a different idea where he's been talking about unity in the church. Now he begins to move into morality within the church uh, or the lack of morality within the church and why, what that is and why that has to be dealt with, why that's important to understand. And in, in the context of that, and I, and I told you last week that those repetition phrases that Paul makes there, most people believe that that was some sort of mantra that the church in Corinth had adopted. That they were saying, hey, all things are lawful for me and I'm free in Christ. And we talked about that and, that, and that's true theologically, positionally, I'm, I'm free in Christ. But the Corinthians were abusing it. They were, they were misusing it. And, and so I, I had a thing last week that I had you fill in that just said this. There's freedom from sin. There's not freedom to sin. If you were here, you may remember that. And that's a very important distinction. There's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. In other words, I've been set free in Christ, so now it doesn't matter what I do. There are people that believe that within the context of of church overall. In the ancient church, they were called the antinomians, uh, anti, against, namas, law. They were against the law because the law was strict and stringent and and I got to do this and do that and cross all my T's and dot all my I's and then maybe I can get to heaven. They said, no, that's not right. I'm free in Christ. So they, they pushed it to the other extreme and, and said, N- no law, whatever, if it feels good, do it, right? Because I'm in Christ. And so, so there was that abuse uh, going on. And uh, as, as I just saw a minute ago, and I'll, I'll say it again, you, you can, here's what he's saying, you can live for your flesh or you can live for the Lord, you can't do both. You can't. Say this and I'll move on. As I said last week, that doesn't mean that, you know, Life has to be a frown, and, and uh, I'm never happy about anything, and I can't enjoy anything, and if I do, ooh, I, I must not be a Christian, because I'm not having any fun, I'm not enjoying this thing in my life, or this place, or this, that's not what it means. Go back and listen to that message if you aren't here, and you, where I caught up briefly on that, but, or you can get caught up briefly on that, but we must move on, don't you think? Why don't y'all say it, let's move on, let's move on, because I already told Miss Ellie, I only got 45 minutes, so. Let's move on. All right, here's the second idea uh, this morning, and the first one for you to fill in some blanks. It is this. An important distinction must be seen. I belong to Christ, not to the world. An important decision, live for the flesh or live for the Lord. I have to understand there's an important distinction. If I belong to Christ, I belong to Christ. I don't belong to the world anymore. Let me read verses 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you've been with us earlier in this chapter, if, you, if you've read some of the other, other letters the Apostle Paul wrote, let me ask you a question. Is the Apostle Paul obsessed with sex? Uh, does it seem as if the Apostle Paul talks about sex or sexuality or specifically sexual sin a lot is, is Paul obsessed with sex? No. No. You're correct. But I think the Apostle Paul knows that we are obsessed with sex. That our culture. That our culture is obsessed with with, with sexuality, with, with with sexual expression. As was the culture in Corinth. As, really, as pretty much... Every culture throughout history has been. A few exceptions, but for the most part, throughout most of history, virtually every culture has in some shape, fashion, or form been obsessed with sex. I mentioned this way back uh, in the early part of this series, but uh, in Corinth, uh, uh, high up on this hill, uh, kind of outside the city, on the top of this hill was a a giant uh, temple Erected to uh, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and fertility. This is uh, kind of a ruin, what I understand, of what's left of that temple uh, today. Uh, uh, by the way, all false religions eventually come to ruin. Even ones as powerful as ones that, that work on our, on our sexuality. One historian, one ancient historian uh, said that at one time... The temple of Aphrodite employed uh, more than a thousand prostitutes and that uh, people would, and I, I, I'll do it again, put it in quotes again, people would worship Aphrodite by paying money and having a, a sexual encounter with one of the temple uh, prostitutes. That was the culture in which... Uh, we we found ourselves at that time that, that they found themselves at the time that was the world in which they lived it was a it was a sexually driven culture and the apostle paul dives into this because of this this bad theology that the corinthians had gotten a hold of that basically hey i'm free in christ so it doesn't really matter what i do and i and i said last week there's some greek philosophical influences in that as well but uh God, God redeemed my spirit, not my body. So, whatever I do with this body, it doesn't really matter. And so, uh, there were uh, believers in Corinth who seemed to have no problem in engaging in uh, sexual practices outside of those parameters that God had drawn. They had no problem having a sexual relationship with someone that was not that uh, was not their their spouse. And, and and by the way, it's not just someone who pays someone to have sex with them, have a, have a physical contact with them. It's, it's not just about that. The word that is, uh, that is translated in English as harlot or prostitute is pornace. that same root that we looked at a couple of weeks ago that could basically mean sexual sin of any type or kind, any type of sexual relationship that is beyond those parameters that God had, has given to us. So it's not... Just think, well, and so it's not just, well, I've, I've never paid anybody to have sex with me. It's not, it's not just that. Okay? And then, you, you see this double use of this phrase in verse 15 and 16? Paul says, do you not know? You see it there in verse 15, and then again in verse 16. That was a literary device that the Apostle Paul used. He used it extensively in his letters to the church in Corinth and, interestingly, in his letter to the church in Rome. It was basically way, a way of saying... You, you sure ought to know this. When he says, do you not know? It was, it was a literary device, it was a way of saying, you sure ought to know this, or, or you know better than this. If they didn't know, if the people in Corinth didn't know, it was willful ignorance. Because there is no question in the year and a half that the Apostle Paul spent with them, there is no question that he would have explained to them God's gift of sexuality and how that gift of sexuality was to be employed and how it was not to be employed. That sounds very, doesn't sound very romantic, does it? How it was to be uh, used, enjoyed, whatever, and how it was not to be, okay? So Paul says, man, you, you, you sure ought to know better than this what they were doing. I, I want to read verses 15 and 16 to you again this time from the New uh, Living, and a couple of things I want, to, I want to say about it. Uh, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Now, let's just stop there a minute. If You belong to Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, don't you realize that your bodies are actually, not are kind of like, sort of like, are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? And based on the root of that word, you could say, and engage in a sexual practice that God forbids? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the Scriptures say, the two are united into one. Now let me just say, having read that text again, that time for a little bit different, translation let me let me just say that both men and women can uh, can fall into sexual temptation and and fall into sexual sin okay both men and women but this tends to be a much bigger deal for men than it is for women I, I think most people would would recognize that this tends to be a much bigger deal for men than it is for women part of the reason for that is because Men are much more sense-oriented than than women are. Uh, sight, sound, uh, smell, etc. Uh, that that men are much more driven by their senses than women tend to be. Not saying women don't have sexual desires. Not saying women can't be drawn into sexual uh, temptation. What I'm saying is that men tend to be more sense-oriented. Women, as a general rule, tend to be more emotive based. It, it, it's, more, it's, it's more of an emotional thing. As a matter of fact, maybe not every time, but many times if a woman is drawn into a sexual relationship uh, beyond something God would desire, it is because of an emotional need in her life, oftentimes, an emotional need in her life that, that results in a, a sexual relationship. So both men and women can be part of it, but th- this tends to be a bigger deal for men than it is uh, for women. But in these verses here's what I want to point out. In these verses you can see a couple of things that I want, that I want you to see. You can see the this, this serious nature of our relationship with God. This is this is serious folks. It, this is, listen, you understand what he's saying? This thing to say I belong to Christ it's more than being part of a, a, of a social club it's, it's more than adhering to a, a particular set of, of beliefs. It's more than coming in here and, and singing a few songs and, and listening to a 45-minute a message and, and then beating the Pentecostals to the restaurant, which is not hard, by the way, because they usually worship longer than we do, but that's, that's a whole other, other thing. It's, it's more than that. Listen, in some, and I'll just say, in some mystical way that I don't think you and I or anybody can ever fully comprehend... But in, in some mystical way, we when we come to Christ, we actually become a part, spiritually speaking, of the body of Christ. We, we actually become, spiritually speaking, a part of the body of Christ. And, and so I don't even have to say it, but you so you 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 can you can see the, the 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 ramifications then of that statement if I engage in a sexual practice beyond the parameters that God has drawn for me, what that means, what I'm doing with Christ at that at that moment. And it also, in conjunction with that, points out the serious nature of our relationship, sexual relationship with another person. Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2, the, the very first wedding ceremony that God performed for Adam and Eve in the garden. He uses that as, as part of his context. There is something about uh, the physical relationship, the, the physical intimacy, the Sexual relationship and its importance, and we're going to see that when we get to chapter seven, we're going to see that a lot. The importance of this this gift. And can I say? Listen, can I say that? Can you understand this gift that God has given, that that the world has distorted and perverted and turned into something that's just to indulge my flesh, something God intended for for procreation and for intimacy and for pleasure. And so there's something within this union when, a, when a, a man and a woman have a physical relationship, there's something about that that connects them not only physically but emotionally and in some sense you could even say spiritually. And so outside of those parameters that God has, has drawn, and, and let's, let's be clear, God has not, is not silent on this, On what those parameters are, what what his, what his designations are for this gift that he has given, this powerful, powerful gift that he has given. Outside of those parameters, what does the Apostle Paul say? May it never be. May it never be. But let's face it, right? We can all say this. I think we can all recognize this. Sexual intimacy is treated so casually in the world in which we live today isn't it and this distinction has to be made i belong to christ not the world therefore the way i conduct myself has to be aligned with what christ's body would do not with what the world would do can i give you just a small sampling of the passages that speak to that in in jesus high priestly prayer john chapter 17 where he's praying to the father on our behalf look what he says john chapter 17 verse 14 i have given them your word And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Why does the world hate you? Because you're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. It says it again. John 17, 16. They are not of the world. Who's they? Yeah. Who's they? Me. You. You, they. (laughs) Sure, that's not good English, but you, they. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look what uh, Paul writes to the church in Rome. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Some translations say, I beg you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. I think I've shared this before. I'll read the rest of that in a minute. But I think I've shared this before, but one of my favorite commentators on that passage of Scripture made this profound statement. He says, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps getting up off the altar." Do, y- do y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all ever gotten up off the altar? After saying, oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. God, I'm going to... This is truly the way to worship Him. In other words, l- the way you live your life. is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this, say it, world. world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing, and perfect. See this contrast between the world and the body of Christ? Look at another one, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. As far, in other words, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm dead. Now, I know physically I'm still alive, but that's the way I'm approaching it. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Shall I continue? Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the, what? Say it. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How about James? He's a a guy that never called it like Jesus. James chapter 4. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? By the way, in the context, James is not talking about sex there. He's saying you're falling in love with the world. You're embracing the world. You're doing it the way the world says. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Wow. Okay, uh, one more. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. You could, you could say that, nor the way the world does things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is what? Say it. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Listen, our culture wants to take this beautiful, powerful gift that God has given to us and use it so casually, so recklessly. uh, Think about this. Jersey Shore, Floribama Shore, Siesta Key, those are the models that are held up to teenagers and, and young adults today as the way to find happiness in life and the way to use your sexuality. Is I'm going to make a statement. You can write it down. You can fill in a blank. You can do whatever you want. If, if you treat sexual sin casually, sexual sin will make you a casualty. I'm telling you that right now. If you treat sexual sin, in other words, not, not, not treating sex, because sex is good within the parameters God gave it to us. But if you treat sexual sin casually, which is the way the world, it's just this thing that I use To get what i want or to get enjoyment or to to if you treat it casually it will make you a casualty i promise you that and what does the apostle paul say may it never be don't do it don't do it's what he's saying don't do it guys don't go down that road may it never be okay let me give you one one more uh there's an important distinction I belong to Christ. I don't belong to the world. I have to understand that. Here's the last one. An important direction must be taken. Run from sexual sin and run toward Christ. Different direction than the way the world is running. You understand what I'm saying to you? What God's saying to you, let me read uh, to the end of the chapter. Verse 18. Flee, is the way the New American Standard puts it. Flee immorality. Flee Immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. In your body. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Flee. Flee. Immorality. Por, uh, Pornage, Pornay on. It's still that same root word, still, th- still showing up there. Same, same idea. It's sexual sin of, of any particular kind. And sexual sin is what? It's any type of sexual activity outside of the parameters that God has drawn and I'll say it again God has not been mysterious about what those parameters are God has not been secretive about those what those uh, parameters are a man and a woman in a covenant marriage are to enjoy this this precious gift and, uh, and use it according to how God says but he says flee uh, immorality cornion sexual sin flee sexual sin flee is a uh, present continuous tense. In other words, it's, it's not, well, it's not one-time de- decision that I make and that's the end of it. No, it, it continues on. That I, that I have to continue to run from this thing. Or it's going to catch up to me. Right? I, I have to continue to run and get away from this, from this thing. It's an imperative uh, verb, which means that it's not a suggestion. If you and I are going to live in a way that, that honors God, then, then we're, this is what we have to do. Paul starts out uh, this latter part by reemphasizing this idea about who it is we're really living for. And so he says, therefore, in light of what, everything I've said before, in light of what I've said about sexual sin and how you shouldn't do that and how that'll get drawn you into it, don't use your body that way. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body. Use your body in a way that would honor and would glorify God and not in a way that would bring whatever you want, right? Listen, before I came to Christ, it was about me, right? It was about me. Before you came to Christ, it was about you. Or maybe it was about, you know, what you needed or what your family or, or this or that. In the context of First of Corinthians chapter 6, it was, about, it was about your sexual satisfaction, your sexual gratification, It is, I've said this before, but it is the I can approach to life. Get all I can while I can for as long as I can until I kick the can. Because it's about me. It's about meeting my needs. And I'll talk about that in just a second. It is, to quote Humphrey Bogart's character Richard Blaine in the greatest film ever made, Casablanca. I'm the only cause I'm interested in. Okay, it was a horrible impression but it's still a truth that that's how we approach life or used to before we came to Christ. There's supposed to be this change, this distinction, right? Now it's not the same as what it, what it's, as the way it was. Now I'm living to glorify God. I, by the way, as a pastor through the years, maybe some of y'all have done this, have come up to me and done this, but through the years I've had people approach me and say, man, I, I, I just wish I, I knew what God wanted me to, to do with my life. There it is right there right? There it is right there. Therefore, glorify God in your body, with your life. Now, I know what they mean, right? They, when somebody asks that, if you ask that question, you want the, you want the, the specifics, right? You want the particulars. Hey, uh, am I supposed to be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker? Hey, am I supposed to go into IT? Should I be an engineer? Should I go into the military? Should I even go to college at all? Uh, should I... They, they want the specifics, right? Right? That's what... We want those things, but here's what I'm telling you. If, if you and I focus on, on this, this thing that Paul says, if we focus on therefore glorify God in your body, I promise you the, the specifics, I started to say the pacifics. I got my merge wixed up. The, the, the specifics will come into focus, they'll come into view in God's timing if you'll just say, you know what, here's what I'm doing, I'm going to learn right now, right where I am, that I'm going to glorify God in my body. Listen, this is, this is an idea that's going to come up again a lot, not just sex in chapter 7 of married couples, but this idea of, of just working where I am in life, uh, what's going on in my life, to work in that situation and to learn how to glorify God in that situation in my life. If, if you do that, if you do that, I promise, all the other stuff will come into focus in God's timing, I don't want God's timing. Well, my timing, right, right. But I, that's why I'm not. I'm not hiding this. You have got to decide. You go. You go on with God, or, you, or you're not. Okay. So, by the way, that whole idea about glorifying God—that's a great. You can use that as a tool in your life. Every time, when you're in a situation, you use this for a lot of stuff, but you you can use this every time in your life when you're needing to make a decision or you're being led into a certain direction or maybe you're being tempted in this. Just ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to do going to glorify God or is it going to bring shame to the name of Christ? Of which I'm a part, right? If I know Christ is my Savior, I'm a part of this body. Is what I'm about to do, look at porn, hook up with this part, is what I'm about to do going to glorify God or is it going to bring shame to the name of Christ? That's just a question you can ask yourself. Now listen, I can say this uh, real quickly before we draw to a close. I can say this. There are some things that are morally neutral, right? I mean, there are some decisions, some things in life that are morally neutral. Playing golf, for instance, that's a morally neutral... That's a more... No, listen. Shh, I'm serious. Golf is a morally neutral activity. The way I play may be a sin, but... But golf, and listen, golf is a morally neutral activity. So I don't necessarily need to say, well, is that going to glory? You know, it, it's a morally neutral... Playing golf is a morally neutral action. Checking out the cart girl is not. And anybody that's played golf knows exactly what I'm saying. So you can ask yourself that question about virtually anything, and God's Spirit will use it to, to help you remove yourself from certain things. So... There's this difference in my life, right? This relationship with Jesus now, but here's the thing. I'll Have Tyler bring it up on the screen so you can see it. Sexual desire isn't less because we follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you can amen that. It's okay. Nobody's going to write your name down or anything. They they amen so that they like. Sexual desire isn't less because we follow Jesus. What's this? But sexual discipline should be more because we follow Jesus in other words the moment I came to Christ the moment, the moment a person comes to Christ they don't lose all desire for sexual intimacy <laughs> thank God uh-huh. right yeah the moment I trusted Jesus and my Savior got the Holy I don't know why the guy I use is always like some country but the moment I accepted Jesus and my Savior got the Holy Spirit in me I lost all desire for sex whatsoever talk about the end of church growth No, that, that, that's, not, that's not what it means. That's not how it works. And thank God that's not how it works. I'll say it again. In chapter 7, y'all, y'all want to show up for that? In chapter 7, we're going to see that the sexual intimacy, that's a really big deal within the context of marriage in chapter 7 and why it's so important in, in a marriage. We're, you'll see that, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. So it, it doesn't mean that the, the, I lose those desires. But it should mean that my discipline becomes, becomes better at handling those temptations. They're, they're still there, right? Uh, we still know what it is to be, to, to be uh, physically or centrally stirred, or, uh, to, right? We, we know what that is. That's, that's not what it is. It's, it is my discipline of such? Is my discipline of such that. But, but Clay, I'm not married. And I have sexual desires. What am I supposed to do? Or, uh, Pastor, I am married, but I'm just being honest with you. My wife and I—we don't hardly ever have sex, and I have needs. What am I supposed to do? Or, or Clay, I, 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 I love my spouse, but I like looking at porn. What, well, what am I supposed to do? Listen, we'll we'll talk about marriage and what we need to do in marriage, but. As far as one, one discipline one that has to be built into my life when it comes to sexual temptation beyond a, a what God allows for us, there's one discipline, and that one discipline is a new direction. And that direction is to run, to run, to run, run. You and I need to run, don't walk, run as fast as we can in the opposite direction, away from a sexual, sexual temptation, be it the TV, the Internet, a conversation, a person, a a look, a thought, whatever it is, walk. Don't walk, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Paul says it kind of uh, again in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living. In other words, you're running from one thing, you're running towards another thing. Because if you just run from something, but you're not running towards someone... Christ, you understand? You're going to stop sooner or later. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. you got to run in a new direction. Now, let me say this, and then I'm going to give you some, some practical ways that you can run here in just a second. We'll close. But let, me, let, me, let me just Let me just say this to you. Let me remind you of a passage of Scripture, if you happen to be here, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Still from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but in the previous section. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Let me just remind you of this. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Listen to me. I am so grateful as a person that was not looking to do it God's way. Growing up, I am so grateful that the grace of God is in effect for all of our lives. So that regardless of past mistakes, past sins that we may have committed in our life, dealing with our sexuality or anything else, I am so grateful for the grace of God that says to me, But such were some of you at one time, but now you were cleansed. Now you've been made holy. Now you've called on that name. You understand? If you, no matter what mistakes you've made, if you have confessed it to God, God has has forgotten it, God has forgiven it, I want to say to you this morning, make sure that you have forgiven yourself, because that may have been how you used to be, but you were cleansed, but you were washed. Okay, real quickly. uh, Okay, uh, we got it. Run. Run away from sexual temptation, which is everywhere around us, right? It permeates our culture everywhere. Uh, you want me to run away from it. How do I do? What does that mean? Does that mean I... What does that mean? Let me just give you a, a, a few practical ideas to, to share with you. I'm calling them practical personal practices. Okay? Here's the first one. Put on your spiritual armor. You, you want to run from sexual temptation which comes at you? First thing do. Put on your spiritual armor. Maybe you've read it before. Ephesians chapter uh, 6 Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Excuse me. How do I resist the time of evil? How do I do it? Put on the armor of God. what he says? That's what he says? This is not... Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on, the sal- put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I just say this to you. If you, do, if you are not putting on the armor of God on a daily basis, you're wide open for whatever happens to you whether it's sexual temptation whether it's this that whatever it is if you're not putting on the armor of God every day uh, years ago I remember uh, hearing Dr. Charles Stanley say that that it, he made it a practice to, uh, to uh, memorize that verse and made it a practice to every day before he got out of bed he, he put that armor on and he said he said father God right now I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness it's going to protect my heart would you protect my heart today from from what might try and pierce and come in my heart. And God, I'm so grateful for the helmet of salvation to going on my head. My mind will tend to go in different directions, God, but, but because of your salvation, I'm, I'm praying that I'd st- keep staying. He, he just walk through that, that armor. You can decide yourself whether you want to, to you know, do it actually like that, but I'm telling you, you have to spend time in the Word of God, time in prayer. You have to prepare yourself for what you're going to face during the course of the day, even if you never even walk out of the house. So that's the first practical thing. If you're not doing this, you're not fueling up, as an analogy, some of you heard me say, I use it all the time. If you're not fueling up, spiritually speaking, you're running on empty, and, and you're, you're going to... Okay, here's another one. Turn a channel. That's a complicated one. Turn a channel. Right? It, I mean, we all know this. It is unbelievable what all is on television now. I mean, it's... it's just turn a channel. Now, we've got to decide in that moment, right? If nobody's sitting beside us on the couch, we gotta, but I'm just telling you, it's just, it's just something practical you can do. You can turn channel. Third, be accountable to someone with your browsers. You know those things y'all have been on all morning? Whether it's your phone, your tablet, your, your work computer, your home computer, somebody that you know that you trust, an, another believer, you need to be accountable to them for, for where, where you're, where you, what you're looking on your browser on. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's a, a close friend. Maybe it's your your life group leader. But but somebody needs to have access and be able to look and see anything. I'm just telling you. It's just because it's out there, right? You don't have. To, it's not much you have to. Okay. Never date anyone that wants to be sexually active before marriage. I'm just I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to give you some practical things. If you want to win at this thing, never date anyone that wants to be sexually active before marriage. Well, how do I know if they want to be sexually active before marriage? It won't take long for you to find out. Probably. You understand what I'm saying to you? Now, you can follow this or not follow this, but I'm just telling you, if if a person wants to be sexually active with you before marriage, they're they're telegraphing to you, one, either they're not a believer in Christ and not interested in, in how he says to do it, or, they're so weak in their faith that, that they're willing to be, be pulled under uh, to the pull of sexual temptation, and they're going to pull you under with them. Well, okay. Uh, I think one more. Never date in a way that puts you in a compromising position. Now, obviously, several of these have to do with single people, but, but it, could, it could be anybody. Listen, i got to tell you, it, it grieves my heart to say this, but statistic, statistically speaking, Single people, statistically speaking, single people within the church are not much less sexually active as single people outside the church. I'm just telling you, based on statistics, statistically speaking, people in the church, percentage-wise, are as addicted to porn as people outside the church. So, I'm just telling you, never date in a way that puts you in a compromising position. (laughs) uh, It's not a serious subject. But to use the old-fashioned term, nobody goes to the submarine races, okay? <laughs> yeah, right, me and Fred are the only ones that get that. They go It's what you, never mind. it's just it's just you've got to make sure that you do not put yourself in a position where you could be where you could go farther than you could. you understand what I'm saying. And this particularly. Uh, Singles, teenagers, listen. You can wear all the promise rings you want, but if you, but if you, but if you carry that promise ring into a situation where it's just you and that other person, and y'all, oh, y'all love each other, Mm, no doubt about that, right? And I'm just telling you, it's the way. It's just. Now you could probably think of other practical ways, too. But I just just thought of a few, and I thought, well, I'll say it and. Write it down. And this, this thing is, is not easy. And the cult, our culture compounds the problem by flaunting uh, what, what they would call sexual freedom. And, and God says it's, it's actually sinful bondage that it will make you a slave. And the consequences are real. But such were some of us. But we have been redeemed. We have been washed. We've been cleansed, and thank God for it. Therefore, glorify God with your body.
0: As Pastor Clay said today, our culture treats sex like a recreational sport. Enjoy your sexuality whenever, wherever, however, and with whoever you like. But God says that's not healthy for us, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Our sexuality is a precious gift from God, and when we get to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, we'll see how important it is for a healthy marital relationship. But when sexual temptation comes that is outside of God's design for us, we have to run as fast as we can away from the temptation and toward Christ. That may sound crazy to the world, but God says that is the way to living a life that honors Him and brings us contentment and joy. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores.
0: I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can
1: go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get.
0: Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed.
0: Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.